0: Hi, this is Pastor John welcoming you to our broadcast. Today we'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians 5 and asking the question we've all had to face at one time or another, what does God want me to do? Let's join the service and see what answer Paul comes up with. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians. No, I'm sorry. What book are we in? First Thessalonians. Yeah, let's go there. Chapter 5. I appreciate your help, folks. Sometimes I forget. Yes. Let me read this passage. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench your spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to get, have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. So we're at the end of 1 Thessalonians. You know, when we come back together again, this will be sometime after the 1st of January uh, in this series. We'll start second Thessalonians. Um, But while you're pondering what I just read, I was right after I met Kelly. I was at a turning point in my life, and I had some really heavy decisions to make. And I I, I knew that there was some God out there somewhere. I didn't know him. I didn't know much about him. uh, But I was driving on my own, and I felt like I had to cry out, and I, I was in anguish. I was frustrated. I didn't know what to do. And I, I remember driving down the road screaming, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And so I didn't come into a saving knowledge of him, but I knew he was up there. And I think that question haunts all of us, doesn't it? What does God want us to do? How does he want us to do it? Whenever we go to make a decision, what does God want me to do? I've talked to you about this before. You know, we kind of boil that down to, should I take the job in Cleveland or the one in Cincinnati, and should I buy the red car or the blue car, you know, that sort of thing. And, and we wait for for some sign. I wait for, you know, I was waiting for lightning uh, or a voice or Something, you know and, and, and you know what? Sometimes, sometimes it comes. Sometimes, we say, sometimes God does that. Well, what do we do when He doesn't? What do we do when we're trying to figure out what He wants us to do, and, and we don't have any sign? I think Paul has the answer for this, right here in chapter five. This, this letter's been an eye-opener. It has for me. I hope it has been for you as well. In the first chapter, Paul says, what kind of church do you want to be? In the second chapter, he says, okay, got that. What kind of believer do you want to be individually? And in chapter 3, he says, now, watch your choices because there may be some affliction that comes with them, but God will get you through that. You can find comfort in Christ. And in chapter 4, he says, don't worry too much about it. Christ is going to return. He's going to take all believers with him. So It's an encouragement to keep our eyes on our eternal destiny, and he wants to make sure that the Thessalonians know that he's going to take all the believers living and dead because they've got some questions about that. Now we're in chapter 5, and Paul's going to wrap up this first letter. He's going to tell them what this should mean to them as a church and how it should work in their hearts as believers. In other words, he's going to answer the question... What does God want me to do? So if you've ever wondered about that in your life, it's right here in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians. What does God want us to do? This is part 5 in our series, Living It Out. Now, Paul's going to give us four encouragement, and that's to them and to us. That becomes clear in the last verse. He's going to find out. He's going to say what they are, what we are, in verses 1 through 10. Then he's going to move on to what we should do if we understand who we are, what we are, in verses 11 through 18. And, and then in 19 through 22, he's going to tell us what not to do. I love this. Do these things. Oh, don't do these things over here. So it's kind of wrapped up in a nice package. And then in the end, he's going to tell us what God will bless. I mean, when we want to know what God wants us to do, what we really want to know is how do we garner God's blessing. Paul's going to lay it all out. So let's take a look at who or what we are. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Paul has laid some heavy teaching on them. He knows they get most of it. Now he wants to build them up. He wants to ensure them to encourage them, and that they're, they're going to be ready for everything that's coming to them. He's giving them some warnings. He says, you're aware of what's going on. I know you know this, but there's more. In verse 2, he says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord. Now, what is this day of the Lord? I think we all have an idea, but it comes right out of the Old Testament. It's judgment day. It's what we would call judgment day. It's a day that the Lord returns. It's that moment uh, when the Lord will judge his enemies and deliver his children once and for all. Now, who are his children? his children are those who have turned to him that Believed in him, believed in the promise, that believed in His Son Jesus Christ, for uh, the, the remittance of their sins and for life eternal. So he says, "You know this, and that that day is going to come like a thief in the night." Now, understand well, we're going to take all these things in, in the context. He understands their preoccupation with the Lord's return and with the end times. And, and you know, we're all kind of interested in that. Uh, we all know he's coming back. They know he's coming back. But that event, while highly anticipated, while we should be living in constant preparation for it, is going to come at a surprising time. And he says it's going to come while people are saying, Now, when, when when he says people here in verse three, he's talking about unbelievers... Well, not, not talking about the church, while unbelievers are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. It's kind of an interesting phrase, this peace and security. And I mean, we can contemporize this and go, oh, you know, when it seems like there's peace on earth, goodwill towards men, well, that's when God will come back. But this had special meaning to the culture in the first century. One of the promises of the ever-expanding Roman Empire was called the Pax et Securitas, the peace and safety brought by the Roman government system. I just want you to think about this. Members of the Roman Empire were guaranteed peace and safety. So we've heard of the Pax et Securitas, uh, we've heard the Pax at Romanus. The, uh, Rome offered prosperity, safety, safety from unrest, safety from danger. Rome offered their citizens, if you stop to think about it, a type of salvation here on earth. They were going to take care of them, they were going to deliver them, they were going to feed them, they were going to protect them. Citizens of Rome depended upon the government system to protect them, to provide for them, to fulfill them. Paul warns the believers that this is a false sense of security. And and there's no safety in earthly systems. It doesn't exist there. And and he says in verse 4, but you, you who are in the church... You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. When the Lord returns, no political system, no emperor, no empire, no ideology, no philosophy, no personal preference will stand against the wrath of the Lord. The only chance for survival when he returns is in Jesus Christ. There should be a lesson for us. And we talk about it frequently, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a large section of the church that believes that our salvation lies somehow in the political system. It's not there. It's not there. Look at Rome. They were supposed to last a thousand years. It lasted about 500. It's all gone." Verse six, he says to the believers, "So then let us not sleep as others, those do." but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, you know, there's a a very literal sense of sober here, but there's a deeper sense as well because it's talking about moral purity. Encouragement for believers to stay alert, to pursue godliness, not earthly systems and pleasures to avoid becoming complacent, but not to get too comfortable or too dependent upon earthly things because none of them can save us. Verse 7, for those who sleep at night, those who get drunk are drunk at night. And so this appeals to the first century as well. Many people in the first century saw darkness as evil or dangerous. And the reason for that was, I mean, it wasn't just some mythical thing. The cities were dark at night. They didn't have street lights. Oh, there might be a torch here and there. But cities were dark. Small villages had little or no light at all. And the reason for that was hardworking people got up before dawn and were in bed by nighttime. And about the only people that were moving around at night were people that were with bad intent, dangerous people. People didn't get drunk in the daylight. It was considered scandalous to do it. They waited until night when they could do it under cover of darkness. So there there was a lot of bad stuff floating around at nighttime. And Paul's appealing to this. He's saying, you know what it's like at nighttime. You don't want to be part of that. Paul wants church to be diligent in their calling, not wasting time doing dark deeds and associating with darkness. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Again, there's a moral connotation here uh, to live godly lives. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, we've seen this imagery before, and I've got to tell you something. Uh, we need to be really careful, because in particular, you take this imagery into Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll talk about being a soldier and an armor and a fighter and so on and so forth. Paul's not talking about being a soldier. I mean, it kind of is. We're soldiers in the army of God type thing. But he's really talking about adorning ourselves with with faith and love and Holding tightly to hope of our salvation. And so he uses this soldier imagery because they're all familiar with it, but we're supposed to be vigilant, vigilant, we're supposed to be ready, we're supposed to be defended ourselves by using our faith and dominated by the hope we have in our salvation. All this is right out of Isaiah chapter 59, which describes who? The Messiah. So Isaiah 59, 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. See, Paul wants the church not to be like a soldier. He wants the church to be like Christ in every way. Why does he want that? Verse 9, for God has not destined us those who believe in Jesus Christ for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, verse 10, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Paul wants church to know that they're children of God. They belong to him, soldiers in his army, so to speak. They're brides of his only son and citizens of the kingdom of What they are, what we are, brothers and sisters, is saved. Saved. Now, you all know I've got friends that aren't saved. And when I talk to them about this, they say, well, I don't believe that. And I've taken a to saying it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It will. It will matter. I don't believe in that, God. I said, that doesn't mean that you're not subject to him. Maybe you don't have faith. Maybe you object to God. Maybe you object to what we see here, but it doesn't mean that this doesn't rule you for all eternity. And you need to think about that. So my friend on the West Coast said, well, I still don't believe in it. I said, so you're kind of God, aren't you? Well, I don't believe in God. I believe in myself. I said, see? <laughs> God has not destined us for wrath, but to attain salvation through Jesus Christ. We're set apart, brothers and sisters. We're saved. We're not part of any worldly system. We're part of an eternal kingdom. So what do we do with this? Now that we know who or what we are, well, how do we live? Paul has this series of encouragements and this may seem kind of random at first, but if you take a look at them, they build upon each other. There's a progression as we go through this list. Listen to verse 11. Therefore, because of all this stuff, because you're saved, because you're set apart, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing now. He's encouraged the Thessalonians. Now he tells them to do the same thing to those around us, saying, isn't this letter been an encouragement to you? You see, oh, I've been building you up. Now, this is what you should be doing to all the people around you. And the, the, the word for encourage here, do you know, it's a little bit more than just an attaboy, high five, good job. It implies comfort. It, it implies safety. So we should be building people up in, in a safe way. The church should be a safe place. It should be a good place for people to come that might be judged otherwise. It should be a place where there's no condemnation, where, where there's no, there's no, oh my gosh, you're not like us, you need to get out of here type thing. We should be safe. We encourage people to come in to safety and, and to build up means to strengthen them over time. And this applies not just to believers, but to everyone. Not just folks we like, not just folks that are like us, and, and particularly applies to the leaders of the church. Now, look what Paul says. We ask you, brothers, verse 12, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. Wow. Paul encourages the church to respect their leaders to give honor to them, to recognize their position, and to esteem them. And that, that esteeming is done in conjunction with loving them. It says to esteem them very highly in love. I like the NIV here. It says, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Paul wants them to honor their leaders, so he says, recognize their position, honor them in love, and be Be at peace. Hmm. Be at peace. Now, there's some caveats in here. Not a lot of them. Because if we take a look at the qualities, of leadership, and everything, uh, if they're leading in a godly fashion, if they're godly people, like the godly leaders we have here, then our call is to esteem them and love them. If they're not leading in a godly fashion, then maybe we need to think about that. And it's really easy. (laughs) i got to tell you something. It's really easy to go, I don't agree with them, so they must not be godly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We need to watch out with that. I mean, we're we're in a culture that does that, don't we? If you don't agree with me, you must not be like me. You're a hater. You're a bigot. you're, You're all these things. If you were more like me, you'd be a more rounded person. Uh, We do that. We do do it with politicians. We do it with celebrities. I mean, celebrities rise up. Everybody loves them. Oh, they're fantastic. Oh, they're just beautiful and everything. And then we find out that they're not absolutely perfect. And all of a sudden, we vilify them. Everything's fine until they do something we don't agree with. There's no room for that in esteem and love. And there's certainly no room for that in be at peace. And we need to recognize that leaders in any position, in particular over the last two and a half years, you know, our elders have had to make some extremely hard decisions. And, uh, and you know, people would call me up and go, oh, John, you've been around in ministry for a while. What do you do when there's a pandemic? <laughs> I don't know. So uh, we, we went through all this oh, there's a pandemic, oh, there's not a pandemic, oh, we're not allowed to meet, oh, we should meet, oh, you got to wear a mask, you don't want to wear a mask. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. And when just about all that dies out, the talking heads on TV give us something else to be upset about. Oh, now it's this, and now it's that, and oh, no, that's an old one, now we got a new one. And so there's this constant friction. There's this constant lack of peace. Lack of respect. That shouldn't be the church. You know, when you have leaders that are trying to honor God and making these hard decisions that that they know people are going to disagree with. But they have to make a decision. Hard to lead the congregation in difficult times. That's what Paul's addressing here in Thessalonica. Hard times. We're in the middle of them now. Our culture likes to complain. Our culture likes to demand its rights and its entitlements and its privileges. Likes to get angry. And the irony in that is it likes to get angry, but it's offended so easily. Oh, I've been traumatized. Somebody said a bad word. I need counseling. Paul says, whoa, wait a minute. Let's give some respect to our leaders. Let's have some regard for how hard they work. And most of all, most of all, be at peace among yourselves. Paul knows that none of the burning issues of the day, listen, Paul knows that none of the burning issues of the day are eternal. And he also knows that they never are and that the burning issue of yesterday is put on the back burner while the new burning issue of the day takes its place and that this has a tendency to consume the church and take it away from its calling. Paul doesn't want the church to get mired in that sort of thing. He wants them to keep their eye on the prize, eternity, and people's souls. So he tells them, and he tells us, to let there be order and honor in how they deal with their leaders and how they deal with each other. Then he goes on to teach them how to deal with each other and with those outside the church. Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with some. Right? What's it say? Be patient with all. Oh, my goodness. How many times have you heard, well, I'm just about out of patience? This really tests me, how long do you expect me to put up with this? I've had enough. Praise God that Jesus never said, well, I've just had about enough of this. You're testing my patience now. You're not going to put another nail in my hand, are you? I won't put up with this. Praise God that Jesus never said, I'm just enabling you by hanging on this cross. I'm going to come down and let you do it yourself so that you can learn a lesson. You see what the world teaches us. You don't have to put up with that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to extend yourself. You don't have to sacrifice. Wow. The word for idle here, by the way, and for folks that may have just a little too much time on their hands, it's talking about people that are causing problems, creating division. And they're there to be warned, but warned with patience. Paul says to encourage or comfort those who are faint-hearted, meaning those who are worried, those who are fretful, to help the weak, those who are not strong in their faith. It's not talking about physically weak. We should be helping them. But we're talking about people who are not strong in their faith and to be patient with everyone. And then in verse 15, he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Somebody told me this week, well, what do you do with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? No, that's not about repaying evil with evil. That's about making sure that the punishment is equal to the crime. doesn't have anything to do with revenge. And we know that's true because God says vengeance is whose? His. His. This is Challenging when we we have a wrong done to us, we want to lash out. We want to do a wrong back. We want to make sure that people know that they've hurt us. So that's challenging, but so are the next two encouragement. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Oh, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Now, this isn't painting a smiley face on everything. It's not ignoring the fact that life has pain, that we'll have grief, that there are going to be hard times that we go through. But when we talk about rejoicing, we're talking about being thankful. Thankful for what? Thankful for the fact that we have an eternal home. Thankful for the fact that we have a way through hard times that other people don't have. Thankful for the fact that we have a Father who watches over us and promises that no matter how hard this moment may be, He intends it for our good. Pray without ceasing. We've talked about that. Walk through your day in an attitude of prayer. And then verse 18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this, this list of encouragements, (laughs) this is God's will. That we as believers practice these things. We're not going to be perfect at them we're not going to get them right all the time. We're going to slip from time to time. God gives grace for that, okay? For every prayer we've ever uttered, we should be practicing these things. For every prayer we've ever uttered, we should be asking God what we should do, and the answer will be characterized by these elements. They're going to dominate how we move forward. Now, there's a few things we should not do And that starts in 19. Do not quench the Spirit. There's some context here we need to look at. Thessalonians lived in a city of pagan gods and their temples. They were were accustomed to seeing all sorts of ecstatic signs and, and utterances and dances and twirling and cutting and all that sort of thing. And some of that stuff may have come into the church. And Paul... Paul wants to make sure that the baby doesn't get thrown out with the bathwater here. He wants to make sure uh, that, that they don't negate everything of a supernatural nature. He wants to encourage them to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in their meetings. Now, hold on to that thought for a moment, because Paul's not done yet. He also cautions them not to despise prophecies. Now, what we're talking about is Supernatural prophetic utterance here, okay. So what do we do with this? And, and this is don't despise this in conjunction with don't hinder, don't quench the spirit. And so apparently there were people in the Thessalonian church that had risen up and said, "We're not we're not going to have any of that here. That that's worldly, okay." And and the baby was getting thrown out with the bathwater. So. There were people who were prohibiting prophetic utterance, quenching the Spirit. Paul says, don't do that. And that seems to open a door for all manner of manifestations. I've been to some of those services. They're not godly. Okay? So, what is Paul saying? He's he's not saying there are no holds barred here. Uh, Carte blanche, you can do anything you want to do. This warning not to limit the Spirit, not to prohibit prophetic utterance, Comes with a caution, and that is in verse 21, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. Well, how do we test things? Paul Paul says, compare it to Scripture. That's how we do it. Determine its accuracy. Hold accountable those who are who are abusing this. Hold accountable those who are claiming to speak for God. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, God's telling me to tell you this? Maybe He is can you affirm that in Scripture? Is it consistent with what Scripture says? Paul says, test all this with the Scripture. Put it under the microscope. If it's not accurate, if it's not true, if somebody says, you've you got to do this, and it doesn't happen, then you got to go back and say, don't do that anymore. <laughs> that obviously wasn't from God. So we have a barometer for this, and it's right here in the Bible, and it says, receive only that that can pass the test of Scripture. And if we do that, if we allow that to dominate our services, dominate how we treat each other, then verse 22 will be a natural, it says, abstain from every form of evil. So there's a summary of what the church should avoid any and every form of evil, and to the extent that we can do that, brothers and sisters, God will bless us. Watch this. What will God bless? Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the key word here is sanctify. So, do all this here are the things you do, here are the encouragements to do, here are the things you don't do, and and then God will sanctify you. God will bless our sanctification. But we need to understand this. Sanctification is participatory. We don't just sit there and have God wave the magic sanctifying wand over us. We have to move out in it. Now we we can decide not to be sanctified okay. won't get you kicked out of heaven, but you're never going to have the peace that he talks about here. You're never going to be content in all circumstances. Sanctification is participatory. Paul just gave a set of guidelines for what it looks like, but it's up to us to strive for those guidelines, to strive for those goals, to make them part of our lives, to have, listen carefully, to have a desire to be blameless, to have a desire to to be obedient. We're not going to be perfect. Somebody say amen. When we have this desire to be blameless, the desire to be obedient, when we do, God blesses, he honors that desire, and he takes us the rest of the way. This is a promise. Listen, he who calls you is faithful. Now, he's talking about in terms of our sanctification, when we desire to be closer to God, when we strive for Him, when we reach out for Him, when we repent, when we regret and grieve over our sin, we will be sanctified. And because He who calls us is faithful, He will surely do it. Wow. Well, Pastor John, are you saying that I don't have to be perfect? Yes. Are you saying that we should care for not? Yes. so we don't have to do everything right? You can't. What about when we mess up? God is good. (laughs) You know, he's given us this incredible tool of repentance. When we mess up, we go to him, we pour our hearts out to him. Father, forgive me, cleanse me, restore me, renew me, renew my mind. I let things slip. God is gracious and loving and faithful. His Son made the ultimate sacrifice so that He could carry us through those moments. Then Paul says, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. Mm. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Be careful with that. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so it has been done. What does God bless, brothers and sisters? Our obedience. Our desire to be obedient. He doesn't bless our perfection. We're not there. He doesn't expect that from us. He gives us this list of things to do, list of things not to do, tells us who we are, do this, don't do this. God will bless us if you understand this. So there's four encouragement, what we are. The church belongs to God. We're his children. We're the bride of his son. We are saved. Think about that term. We're saved. We're rescued. We're set apart. A peculiar people. And some of you are nodding. Yes, we are. Set apart for the glory of our creator, for the glory of the one that spoke the universe into existence. What a privilege. What an honor. What should we do? We should admonish those who need it. We should encourage those who need it. We should help the weak. We should be patient with everyone. We should always seek to do good good barometer for when you're about to go on social media. We should rejoice always. We should pray without ceasing. We should give thanks in all circumstances. Those things are the will of God. Now, so what should we not do? Well, church shouldn't, should avoid evil. What evil is? Anything that contradicts or twists Scripture, anything that doesn't pass the text of biblical authority, Anything that is ungodly and counter to those things that God tells us to do, that's what the church should avoid. What will God bless? Our desire to be obedient. Our desire to be obedient. None of us, none of us are going to be perfectly obedient. It's not going to happen. Not in this earthly well. So so what, is, what does that look like? In other words, what does God want me to do? Isn't that where we started? You know, I never, got, I never got the miraculous answer. I had inklings. There were unusual things that happened. God doesn't always work in that area. Sometimes he just expects us to read his word and not go on fuzzy feelings and goosebumps. Sometimes he just expects us to know a little bit about him, his character, and his nature. So that day, I I was looking for a specific direction, a detailed roadmap. I wanted a list of of things to do, a yes or a no. I wanted a coin to flip up and land on its edge or something. You know, what God was interested in was having my heart. What does he want you to do? He wants, wants you to live like your heart belongs to Him. I want you to live in a manner that kind of reflects the idea that He's with us always. That He'll never leave us and forsake us. Oh, that doesn't answer my question. Okay, then admonish those who need it. Encourage those who need it. Help the weak. Be patient with all. Always seek to do good. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Do those things, and God will complete your sanctification. Not only that, but that particular thing that you pray for, that one thing that you're looking for the answer for, I guarantee you, it'll fall into place. Maybe no sign in the sky, but it'll fall into place. As you pursue God more than anything else in your life, as you give him your heart, he'll give you the answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you see everything, you know everything. We thank you that you give us words like this, Father, to get us through difficult times. Not just words to be read and and discussed, but words to be appropriated, Father, Father words to be integrated into our hearts, Father, that they come flowing out of us, Lord, at every turn, that we might be an expression of your love and grace and mercy here on earth to those around us, to our leaders, and in particular to those people that don't know you, Father, that they might get a little glimpse of Christ in us. We thank you that your word says right here that you are faithful and that you will surely do it when it speaks of our sanctification. We give you all praise and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now, before you leave, if you're a voting member, I need you to come forward and vote. Thank you for coming. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with our Christmas service. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the Like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.